Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. All right, well, welcome to the episode, everybody. Today, we're going to be speaking with my friend, Steve Jukes, who's the executive director at Pathway. And I've got someone here to help me introduce this episode, Shanna Mo. Hi, everyone. So, Shanna, this episode, we're going to be talking with somebody who's involved in a social enterprise. Really? Yes. And also, he is the owner of a cinema. That's so cool. Yeah, it's really amazing. So he's involved in a wide variety of things. Here's an excerpt from the conversation. I think in 50 years, every business will be a social enterprise mm -hmm. because there's so many people coming through. Uh, our, you know, kids are growing up and uh, they are purpose driven people yeah. the, the, the kimono is open right you can see through it we want to we know we were all about transparency we want things and so you want to have a lot of um of it's not just about money greed is good is gone i mm -hmm. think is a mm -hmm. way to say it all right so we're going to get straight into this conversation with steve which is actually the longest ever podcast episode that i've recorded jenna really it really is. It's a long one, but the reason is that the quality of conversation was so good that I couldn't really cut anything out. <laughs> quality over quantity, sometimes. <laughs> That's Not right. On this one. Well, on this one, <laughs> on this one, we actually get both. So we get quality and quantity. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Shen, if people enjoy this episode, then how could they stay up to speed with Seeds Podcast? Well, they could one, subscribe, two, leave a rating or a review, three, Keep up on the Facebook page and Twitter. That's right. Do you know what Twitter is? Uh, it's the bird one. <laughs> That's the app that has the bird, doesn't it? Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into this conversation with Steve. So it's a pleasure to welcome Steve Jukes, who's the executive director at Pathway. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Steve. Um, it's great to have you on because we've had many interactions in the last two years, lots of discussions about social enterprise, and I have to say, I use Pathway as my one of my go-to examples when I'm standing up the front of a you know an audience or something talking about um, charity and the intersection with social enterprise. Sure, so, I use you as an example of how small Christchurch is. Oh, because you went to school with my wife. I did. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Oh, not that long ago. <laughs> sure. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, so we're going to have a fascinating conversation. I already know it because there's many points that we have connected on. I think we'll talk a bit about cinema. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about social enterprise. We'll talk about prisoners reintegrating back into society. But before we get to those things, I'd love to just really wind back and just find a bit about where you were from. Yeah, sure. I was born in Twizel. Do you really? know where Twizel is? Yeah, yeah. Twizel's that little town that was made so that people who worked down there on the uh, on the hydroelectric projects in central Otago had a place to, to live. And I ended up being born there. Wow. I don't think I've met anyone who's born there. I, I, think, <laughs> I think maybe there were four it, of us. Was it? <laughs> my, um, my room, what do they call it? The maternity room, you know, yeah. where mum would have been. Right. It's now a backpacker's. Oh, okay. So, you know, so I was born in room six or dorm seven or something. Right. Uh, yeah, I was, 
So what had taken your parents there? Yeah, no, so wasn't... Dad's Australian uh-huh. and Mum is a Christchurch girl. So right. she's been here for, uh, she was Villa girl, yeah. been here forever. And Mum was in Australia and met Dad. And uh, this must have been, I don't know, in the very, very early 70s, maybe 1970, maybe late 60s, early 70s. And uh, they ended up getting married uh, and... My sister was born in Australia. Okay. At some point, they decided to come back. Well, mum, they decided to come to New Zealand. And dad, dad, dad was a jack of all trades. He was an interesting character. He had a lot of flaws, but as I think we all do. But I found him to be fascinating because he could turn his mind to anything. Anyway, he grew up in rural uh, Queensland, came over to New Zealand and... Uh, ended up getting a job uh, working for, I guess it was the iteration of the Ministry of Works, whoever was thinking big at the time. I see. And he went and dug channels and uh, and made water go in places that it wasn't designed to go and wow. pre- pretty clever stuff. So he was there for the hydro yeah, electricity? Yeah, the whole and, thing. Wow. Um, and so and we moved around. So I was born in Twizel, but we moved around where the work was because that, that whole network uh, was being built at the time. Yeah. And uh, so that, that kept us down and around there for... A number of years, and mm. then we went back to Australia. So my schooling, oh. my formative year—I call them my formative years—was yeah. all in Australia. So it's very hard for me to shout for the uh, All Blacks. I really like the Wallabies, as destitute right. as that makes me right now. What years were those formative years then? Like, yeah, so, so Twizel was sort of a blip in a way. Yeah, it really like, was. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't your identity Not growing up. No, my I was I I was in Australia. Um, maybe I was two and a half, nearly three. Okay, and came back. Maybe I was eleven. Yeah. Um, so your real memories, yeah, childhood. Everything I saw, or everything I read, or everything we talked about in the school grounds was mm. all Aussie. Yeah, and. And we were in rural communities. We spent a very short period of time in Perth, but other than that, we were in the wop wops, the sticks. We were out in the outback, and mm. uh, that meant that everything I um, came to value or care about, if it was sport or achievement, or all, all of that, all came out of uh, Australia through and through. Aussie, right. you know. So to come the back green to... green and gold. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and so I wear it. I, lo- I still love it. I'm, yeah. I'm, well, I'm like 43 now. And I, I still have it just deep in me. I remember a time... Can I tell you this? Yeah, I've got... Uh, we were at a, uh, like a youth camp for, um, for a bunch of Christian kids. Like it was maybe 400 of us on Matakana Island, which is just off of Tauranga. And it was the semi-final, I think of the uh, World Cup. I'm trying to date it for you, maybe 91. Right. And Australia were playing the All Blacks. And gathered around, there was, nobody had thought that the you know, it was on. And so gathered around this very small TV, maybe it was a 14 or 20-inch <laughs> television. Back in the day, just yeah. hundreds of people sort of standing on things, in this big tent. Yeah. And I'm the lonely dude who's... <laughs> cheering Australia on and Australia won that that year and they went on to win uh, the World Cup but they won it that year and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs and everyone's kind of punching me in the arm and just be, and totally uh, pretty brave yeah and it's been like that ever since so even when Australia were up 
uh, in things I've I've tended to be in New Zealand and then Australia have been down in things and I've tended to be in Australia so I've gone and watched cricket I games see. and they've lost and so I've never been in the right place at the right time where I can celebrate with the masses I see one day Steve one day one day so you, anyway. you hold out the hope huh? totally. <laughs> so there you go I had um, I had some a lot of time early in New Zealand in Australia uh, my sister's two years or nearly two years older 21 months older mm-hmm. uh, she's really savvy she's street smart and she would show me, uh, oh, well, I guess how to get away with things, actually. Uh, so how to, she'd see it, she sees angles I don't see. She's fantastic, Karen. And uh, we grew up probably competing um, quite a lot. Mm-hmm. I would be, we were talking just off air about our children, respective children. Mm-hmm. I was probably a lot like uh, my two girls uh, where they're reaching for what the younger is reaching for where the elder is. And, right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, we, we now have a great relationship, but back then we, we, we would always be competing and that could lead to, to conflict. Um, <laughs> and mum's probably better to tell you a bit about that. Yeah. Then we came back to, to, so can I just ask yeah, a yeah, question? Sure. Sorry, I'm just interested. So Good. the identity being formed and things yeah. like, what was it? Because you said you were moving around Australia, right? Yeah. But but it, but it was a consistent thing for you. Like, was it? What was it that caused it to form so strongly? Do you think? Uh, the Australian yeah, uh, the Australian connection? identity and and to have left at age eleven as well, but still feel that connection. Oh, like I, maybe I, I could be wrong, but maybe the things that um, you celebrate as a kid is uh, are the things that you remember most strongly Mm. when you're an adult um certainly it is for me so i remember dean jones getting 100 runs in a one day against sri lanka in 1984 and i remember him and alan border putting on a ridiculous uh partnership and that's because i and because i cared about it it's stuck with me right and so now when i see and overnight you, you know kane williamson knocked it out of the park we're talking sport he did, did so well uh in um the against pakistan and the uae but i i don't i almost resent that right because because <laughs> my own colors. exactly <laughs> and, and, and so i'm following india and australia playing at the moment and yet there's this and i've got staff we have yeah, pathway who um are die hard in the dirt Kiwi fans, and so they're only talking about uh, what's going on across the uh, in uh, well in the UAE against Pakistan. So I just have this absolute uh, uh, deep-seated mm. uh, connection. It's like it permeated into you, hey? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, totally. I remember having a conversation with uh, Mum and some of her friends. I. If you can believe this, I was considering joining the armed forces, mm-hmm. and I'm ten when I'm <laughs> considering this. Right. <laughs> uh, so considering air quotes, and um, uh, I w- I found out that I would have to. I'm a New Zealand citizen, mm. not an Australian citizen. Never never had that change, and I found that I would have to uh, change citizen. And mum was like, oh, you won't be doing that, darling, will you? And I'm like, yeah? Like, <laughs> what? Like, that would be just the most obvious natural thing yep. to have done. And it's and it's been like that since. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I almost I almost resent not uh, mum and dad not having done it. 
right you know because we were over there for so long it could have happened yeah uh yeah i'm just that's who i am and and my sister who is australian she was born in australia mm-hmm. um d- doesn't have that same that connection depth of connection at all yeah. so it, ca- it can't be just where you grew up it has to be yeah uh maybe what you experienced or how much you valued the things you saw or mm. enjoyed or participated in mm-hmm. um Maybe that's it. Yeah. Maybe. maybe What's well, about the forming of identity, isn't it? And mm. that I think that age, you know, from five to ten, it's actually really, really critical. And um, people kind of think that it's the teenage years, but actually, it's 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 those early. Those are your first memories, yeah. right? Like, yeah. yeah. For me, as similar, you know, I have an accent, but I actually grew up in New Zealand. So for me, it, it's there's these strong connections with this place, because I think like you, it was sort of the the first emotional, th- you know, the first time I fell off my bike and hurt yep. my knee and stuff like that was here. Exactly. It wasn't, you know, so. It's exactly right. Yeah. And and music does that for us, doesn't right. it? It takes us to a place mm-hmm. then we think, oh, that's right. That was the first time I thought that or felt that or I was dealing with that. Yeah. Uh, for me, um, those memories that I've described, whether they be sporting or significant moments in, in history, mm-hmm. uh they were all in Australia, and I felt them, and yeah. uh, and therefore that's just yeah, it's embarrassing actually. Yeah. Well, it's it must cause trouble for you these days living here, right? <laughs> <laughs> I because uh, Kiwis are passionate about their sports. Oh, it's the most ridiculous. And, you thing. know, rugby, all cricket, all of these things. Like you're you're in the minority. Member, a staff member drops on. We have the chalice of um, lament. And the cup of glory. Okay. And they're just, one is a china cup that looks like a teacup, really. And the other is, I don't even know when it was made, 1970. It's this kind of blue, glassy type thing. And uh, what, so if, if I come to work and New Zealand's had a, a win, then I've got the, the chalice of despair, it's called. I see. Uh, on my desk. Uh-huh. Um, and I take, it's very rare, but I do take enjoyment placing that onto... Kerry's desk. I've yes. named him um, because a little it, shout out yeah, in totally. rivalry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he loves it. He, yeah. I mean, it's that's but cool. he is he is as strong a Kiwi mm-hmm. supporter as I am the other way. Yeah, yeah. that's great. So yeah. just take us through. Then um, we've kind of talked up until you were eleven. Mm. You know what happened next? You you moved back to New Zealand. And, we did. I yeah. can't remember quite why. Dad get Dad got sick. Um, and so we came back to New Zealand. Mum later had told me it was much easier to be closer to um, her family, who was still in Christchurch in Auckland and Wellington. They'd sp- spread a bit, but still in New Zealand. Right. So the support there. That was yeah. they were here. And I, what I didn't know at the time was that things weren't great with Mum and Dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they only a couple of years later they ended up splitting. Right. Um, but we were in Topo at the time hmm. and that's where i went through my intermediate and high school years um and that was cool i enjoyed topor because um it was small enough to be what i was used to in australia going to school mm-hmm. but large enough so that i could i could play in the cricket team or in the uh, whatever sports team mm-hmm. because back then um they were really small. You don't even have one team in Australia. And if you weren't good enough, you didn't get to play. Whereas here, and I was never good enough. So here, uh, I got to play. So yep. I got to play cricket. I got to 
Uh, I got to play rugby um, very badly and stopped playing early on. <laughs> it uh, sounds like sport is a theme, though, that's coming yeah. through in terms of you loved sure, it. Sure, Is it? You're, you're going to grab that one? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> uh, I, I think, for, for me, um, mum loves sport. Right. So dad, dad could care less, I think, about sport. Yeah. Um, and, but mum loved it. And so I learned to play squash. Uh, mum would take me down to the court. I'm, I don't know, eight, nine, mm-hmm. you know, right through. I'm 17 and I'm playing squash. I can't, when I mo- mum had moved to Christchurch before me, I'd gone away, left home. And when I got down here, the first thing we did was go and play squash. Right. And, and, you know, like that's just what we did. And my aunties and uncles play. And uh, so sport mattered um, to our family, but not probably maybe slightly different to others. It was mum as the driver. I see. Um, and that raised some banter. We had a lot of banter at home huh. um, because mum was a Kiwi supporter. I see. So she loved, if we're talking cricket, Jeremy Coney and Jeff Howarth and others, um, paddles, uh, you know, Richard Hadley and whatever, uh, whereas I was the Aussie supporter. When I when we moved to to New Zealand and I was um, maybe I was 15 mm-hmm. dad had let dad had well left by this stage and I was getting into rugby league another Aussie sport right sure. um, <laughs> and we t- uh, there was I don't know if you remember you were probably you'd probably left the country but oh no maybe not um, but there was three TV channels right yep. and that was it and so rugby league was always on a delayed we never had live anything mm. and it was always delayed and i would try and get mum mum can we watch the league no son i'm no we're not doing that either the tv was off or she was watching something else mm-hmm. and so i was yelling to a couple of mates in their house and uh, watched one of my mates talk his mum into doing something uh, by them ta- him, him getting telling her a random fact about it. Uh, so I tried this. I, I got home and I said to mum, could we watch the leash? She said, no, I said, please, I, I'd like to watch the leash. Fine. So she sat there in the lounge knitting and I was watching, say it was the Broncos or something. Mm. And when the... Uh, when when a guy scored a try, Steve Renoff, I said, Mum, did you know he's an electrician? And she said, sorry? And I said, yeah, he's an electrician because they have those little stats that come up on the screen. Yeah, right. I said, oh, he's a sparky and uh, and he's got three kids and he lives, blah. And so Mum's starting to take an interest because now it's not a game she's learning mm-hmm. about, it's the people. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely a theme uh, in my life. So she's learning about Steve Renoff and Alfie Langer and other people Cliffy Lyons and whoever for Manly. And uh, we ended up watching League for a number. We still watch the League together now. She, so she cares <laughs> about the League because she cares about less about the sport and more about the people. Right. I fast forward. So for, for me, fast forward about uh, five years. And I was down with uh, visiting my nana and granddad who live here in Christchurch. Um uh, they did. Uh, they've passed now. But and uh, I'm yarning to Granddad in the back uh, in the back garden, and he was a policeman, mm-hmm. and his job was to to care about the Christchurch airport. So he was based out there, and I was yarning to him about him knowing really well the neighbour behind in the back fence, and he said, "If you take an interest in people, son, they'll take an interest in you." Mm. That's what he said. 
And I realised that that's what mum had done. She was taking interest in Steve Renoff and Alfie Lang. Yeah, she was interested in that. And so right through uh, to get the best out of somebody or to help them Mm. Um, or to better understand yourself, mm. take an interest in somebody. Yeah. Do you know you'll? It's and that's honestly that's great. So that's a principle totally. that has made a foundation for you through your life. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So it's really easy to talk. It's work to talk to some people, and it's yeah. easier to talk to others. But always ask more questions than um, than you've been than you're being asked, and you yeah. therefore you'll listen more. Do you know? Interesting. And you'll you'll hear more and then you'll learn something yeah. and you might apply it to yourself or you might think about it three years time. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. That's really good. Mm. It actually, it, it, just to riff off of that idea. Um, one of the things that my mother told me when I was younger is there's no uninteresting person in the world. And if you think that someone's uninteresting, you haven't asked the right question. Exactly. <laughs> Your mother's a smart lady. She is. And you just have to make that extra effort. Yeah, you got to look for it, right? Yeah. You look for the way in. If, 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 you need, if you feel like you need to, sometimes it comes really naturally. Mm. But, but if you, if you, if you th- well, I'll say you, but if I see somebody who I think might be interesting, which is oftentimes every day especially in my job yeah um it's the easiest thing to walk over and to find a way into a conversation Mm. um or to to have to start the conversation with them you might not know how you how you're going to start but you know where you want to finish right and so you just keep looking for the you know asking about the shoes or the day or the sport you know, float out the old naive inquiry or something to see where that where that goes. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not, not too hard. Yeah. No, it makes sense, but I think it's a skill that's lacking because too yeah. often these days we have so much to say about ourselves. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I like agree with that. You, you, you come in with, you've got something to say, and it's something because we've, we've interacted many times in meetings and other things now, and it is something I've observed about you that you do seem to be sitting back kind of watching and, mm. and then you'll come out with your comment or your, you know, like it, it, it's I usually because it, I'm well behind the eight ball. <laughs> um, but, but if it is, if you have seen that, it's, it will be because it's easier, I think to make, um, it's bit sorry. It's not bit. It's not easier. It's better to make a meaningful contribution than it is to make fat at communion. Do you know, sort of that random, very light touch chat. Uh, I'm really bad at that. I'm really bad at that. Uh, to the annoyance of my wife, I think. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's good. Mm. So um, this is a great interview because we're just going many places and that's the type that i love honestly because it's more interesting for me as well (laughs) so but i'd love to talk through sort of i guess um what happened next you know we're kind of you're you're studying and high school and things and did you did you know what you wanted to do you know did you have a sense of like your father had had done something was that it was that something you wanted to do or your mother you know like was Mm. there a path that seemed open or what was it like? Um, I think I felt the weight of responsibility um, when I was a teenager. Because mm. your father had left d- that Yeah, time. dad left, I think I was 12 or 13, um, and he had gone. And when he left, he left, left. So I didn't see him again uh, until I was 27. I wow. So it was a long time. Um, 
and so how did you cope with that as a 12 13 year old yeah, like not very well yeah i was really bad my yeah. schoolwork suffered yeah i remember going and crying to my uh like literally crying to my english teacher once saying i think i need to go down the class and she was so good she saw through me really uh, she, mrs gray she was amazing she said there's four teachers in my life that i can single out as being yeah. influential and mrs gray is one of them she said to me you don't need to get down to class you just need to do your work <laughs> and i'm crying and she knows why i'm crying the school knew that we, my yeah. mum and dad had split up over the summer and wow. uh, i started third form back that was what it was whatever yeah. that is year nine um as a uh, in a in the single home, so school knew that school knew that we had broken up. Oh, we had broken up. Mum and dad had, had split up, and that dad had left. So school school was aware of that, and so um, but that didn't. I mean, that pays no mind really. But they yeah you know, they're careful with it, I think. And uh, I got halfway through the year, and I was really struggling. But but Mrs. Gray said. You got to do your work. Yeah, it's not that you need to go down a class. It's nothing to do. And I, you know, I was this little boy in tears, and I was quite young. I was a twelve-year-old in third form, um, and so right almost to the end of third form, and that was tricky uh, for me in lots <laughs> in lots of ways. Um, the least of which was not the boys' locker room at PE, but um, she was excellent because she said to me, "I will help you." but you must show me. And so I would go home and I would do this work, hmm. uh, whatever it was. I mean, and you're talking about third form English, like what is it really? Um, and, you know, write a poem or something. And she would then meet me uh, in the lunchtime. It was, I'm trying to remember if it was like a Monday or a Tuesday lunchtime. Right. Every Monday or Tuesday is lunchtime. Right? She wow. would meet me and check and how are you doing? And how's that making, you know, is that making sense? And is this where you want to be? And I, uh, you know, teach, teachers can get all sorts of, especially in this current climate where strikes are happening and, um, you know, sort of demands that seem to be unreasonable or whatever. I'm married to a teacher, so I like to... You're about to say that? Yeah, and I'm about to throw some things out there. But um, but there are teachers that make a difference. And yes. she was she was one of them, she, where she just took the extra didn't she didn't have to do that mm. probably the easiest thing ever would be to send me to a different teacher you know into whatever class to do yeah. whatever but she wouldn't do that That's pretty so cool. pretty awesome that is amazing yeah yeah, yeah she's very cool been back as an adult to thank her or to touch no, base with her or? no not at all um i do it's much easier to connect now isn't it with facebook and social media and other things yeah um and so i have kept uh an eye and whatever on uh some teachers that have really meant something but no i've never been back i'm not very good at going back yeah. actually uh, i'm pretty i'm not a rhinoceros somebody told me once that rhinos can't walk backwards i don't think that's true but uh but you don't really see a rhino going backwards mm. and i tend to charge on mm. so i'm not very good no, at that, about that that's fine it's mm. it's more just the principle is sometimes people are influential in our life and and if you go back and thank them, you know, like it's yeah. it's actually a really amazing thing. It's a gift to give them. Yeah, to, I think it's true. You know, like if you contacted her and said, look, when I was 12, 13, every you week you helped me and it has stuck with me for the last 30 years. You know yeah. what I mean? Cause yeah, I, yeah. You're um, making me feel bad. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, we'll but it's true. We should do that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. This is great. Yeah. Find her. Yeah. 
Um, if anyone knows Mrs. Gray. <laughs> from, from Topo Nuiatia College. There uh, you go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Reach out. Um, yeah, so that's, I didn't know, Steve, what I, yeah. what I wanted to do yeah. when, I, when I left school. I did, um, I did think I would be a teacher because okay. I've just finished saying, you know, there's those four teachers that I can name that had such an impact in my life. And so there was a sense of, oh, I could do that too. Yeah. That could be quite legitimate. Can you? Can I pause you there? Can you just name off, you've mentioned Mrs. Gray, but can I you am. name the other three and just in a brief way, what was it that was so influential? Because I'd love to yeah. highlight the people sure. in others' lives, you know? Uh, so Mrs. Gray, by taking the time, um, uh, another Mrs. Uh, Gray, uh, but she taught me sixth form maths uh, because she identified that I couldn't rest on my laurels, that I needed stretching, so she gave me extra things to do, mm-hmm. um, so made me do, I don't know, seven form calculus or something, just a, you know, a, 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 an extension. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Luke, who taught me uh, social studies in my young years and history in my senior school, uh, because of the way he taught, he um, <laughs> n- none of the things that I, I could ever espouse would be funny to anybody else but me. But he connected with students by uh, bringing uh, animation to the classroom. So history could be dry, right? And if you're talking about uh, the origins of World War II, uh, <laughs> that could be quite dry. But he just and he and he was animated and full of life. I went to his funeral. He's since passed. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to his funeral, and. I don't remember a classmate that wasn't there. Wow, it, that's pretty. That's something, eh? That's cool. Like yeah, he's a, he's an amazing man. Uh, and the last one um, is I'll I'll say Colin Jackson. He he was Mr. Jackson in the chemistry uh, labs, but we ended up playing squash uh, every I'll say Wednesday afternoon after school. Mm-hmm. You could never do this now, Steve, but. Uh, I would put my bike in the boot of his car and we would off we'd trottle up to the Tapo uh, squash club. Mm-hmm. We'd play squash. Uh, we'd have these ding dong battles. He he was uh, I'm so I'm talking I'm fifteen, sixteen, he's uh, maybe he's fifty. And I, just shrewd player. And uh, we would have these big long conversations between points and right. just just yarn about random things, uh, and then he, well, then we'd have a shower, and then he'd drop me home, and you, you just, you'd never see that now, or yeah. rarely see it now. But he gave me so much time. Remember, Dad's not around. Right. There's not. There's questions that you know might not have occurred to me to ask Mum or whatever. But I would just talk to mm. Colin. Mm. So uh, he was kind of a, a male figure, father figure. Yeah, 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 yeah. That might be a. That might be just too far, but. Like yep, that, but similar, yeah. And so he he was a uh, a wonderful guy uh, who gave me all his time. He it, when he didn't give me. Remember when you used to get graded ones, twos, threes, all mm-hmm. of that. And when he didn't give me a one in sixth form chemistry, sixth form, yeah. I was pretty grumpy. Uh, and he pulled up the driveway, and I yeah. said, "What what's going on here?" <laughs> and he made a joke, which I can't say now because it's entirely <laughs> racist. Um, and then and then said, "But it doesn't matter. You'll be fine." Right, <laughs> and that it's that level of wisdom, yeah. Because and that stuck with you, right? Totally. Yeah. Because as a boy, you're reaching for you. You want the what do you want? You want the 
acknowledgement of and praise of your dad or your parents or your grand or whatever it might be. Well, oh, dad wasn't around. But for Colin to say that, you know, so good just to be able to go, yeah, that's right, but you'll be fine. Mm. Like saying the facts, but then making it, uh, seeing the, seeing my heart behind it yeah, and what I needed. Maybe seeing the potential as well, right? Like yeah, believing maybe, in you yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah. so that's, yeah, really that's, good. that's who I, they were. I just yeah. love to highlight people who've played a role in others' lives. The reason I like to do it is that it hopefully will remind the listeners and me, <laughs> yeah. who can we be, you know, how can we be like those teachers to others in our lives? Yeah, totally. You know, the 15, the 16-year-old who we can come alongside and be a mentor for, we can mm. have that encouraging word, you know? Like it's, otherwise we're so focused on our individual, you know, what, what am I doing? But these people really profoundly affected you by giving you time, energy, totally. and believing in you. And they all had families that were... So they're giving to their families, yeah. but this is giving more. Yeah. And that's the bit that impacted me because yeah. I, I obviously needed it or got it or whatever. But yeah. So you can't just give it to your children, I think is mm. what I'm trying to say. Mm. You've got to see outside mm. and give it you know, mm. away. Mum... mum uh, I live by lots of little mantras and mum, you know, to whom much is given, much is required, son. Yes. I just heard that growing up all the time, yep. all the time. So feeling the weight of uh, responsibility, I think I was saying before, mm. because of that, I see. feeling like I had to do. And I failed, spectacularly failed. Went to university, lasted uh, one semester. Mm-hmm. And just bailed. Mm-hmm. I was too young. I was 16 when I was at university oh, in really? first year. Gosh. Um, I think that's right. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, and I, so I was very young. I was very um, immature. Didn't know how. This is back in the day when the government would drop uh, $2,500 in your bank account to last you a term right. to pay your rent and do sorts of things. I had no skills. So this set is the early 90s end. sort of yeah, time, right? Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, yeah, 92, I think. 92, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and so it was just a, just a remarkable, uh, spectacular failure. And came home with my tail between my legs. Yeah. So moved back home to mum, got a job. Was she know. living here in Christchurch? She was in, no, she was in Taupo still, so in Topol. So mm. she was there for just a couple more years and then came down, there, came down here. Um, yeah, so I just came home, it came, came back to her and uh, didn't quite know what I was going to do. Uh, hugely embarrassed. By yeah, it, do you know, right. like hugely embarrassed by it, um, and then tr- just sort of taking my uh, my, my licks, really uh, trying to work out how what to do next, and mm. stumbled across broadcasting. That's mm. that's tended to that seemed to spin the wheels, and yeah. so ended up. So how did that start? Was it, was it like broadcasting. a local radio station or something? Yeah, you no, show up or <laughs> how did it? I think what you'll hear if um, if anybody to listen would be these massive leaps that I make in my life just crazy I'm on this track and then I'm going to take this big step sort of tangentially um, mm. and I don't know why I'm like that uh, but I like that I'm like that mm. I was scared of it for a long period of time until I became about I think I was about 30 when I realized, oh, no, this is actually a good thing. Uh, but so, uh, radio, because I would sit up, I wasn't, wasn't very good at going to sleep, 
I would listen to the radio for the longest time. I'd listen to the radio. So when I was a kid, I'd listen to the radio. I see. And I just thought, oh, I, I, I can do that. I can do what he's doing. Right. And, or it was so you he. learned by listening. Yeah. Right? And so I came down. So I applied to New Zealand Broadcasting School and came down. What's now Ara? At the, in the same, my first year, I picked up a kind of a, a job at a radio station called it was c93 which is now not anything but um and they had this am frequency where they would do sport on the weekends they'd turn it into a sport on the weekends thing and so i called rugby and and um but you're on the radio but i was on the radio (laughs) thinking i was going to be famous you know having these uh delusions of grandeur um what did you learn in broadcasting school like looking back, sure. What were some of the key things? Um, what I'm because we're doing a podcast right now. We're talking. We've got microphones in front of us. Um, what were some of the skills that you've learned? Because I, I think you have a unique way of talking. Right. You know, I can think you're quite expressive. Right. And it's something I work on for this podcast is how I can be more interesting in my phrasing and how I do that. Is that the type of thing that they teach you or is it? Um, Well, I mean, I think fondly of broadcasting, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's particularly difficult. I mean, your job is difficult, right? I think about, I could not be you. Mm -hmm. I don't have the mental capacity to, to nut things down and distill it down into something, one or two kernels of things and then let it flourish again. I can't do Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. About the only meaningful thing I ever learnt was never get in unless you have an out. Hmm. And I mentioned that slightly earlier in a, in a different context, but uh, don't, what that means in broadcasting is don't open your mouth if you don't know how, what you're going to say to finish. Okay. It doesn't actually matter what you say in between. That's the kind of fun part. That's the fun bit of broadcasting is meandering through a voice break or having a laugh or a yarn but you've got to know where you're going to finish you've got to know what you're finishing on whether Mm. you know the exact words or not that's style points that's up to the individual broadcaster but you've got to know where you're finishing i see so that you've got a destination to go to otherwise it's just a yap fest and you don't know and you can talk around and around and around and around and it becomes difficult for the listener to understand Mm. whereas if you're You've got the starting point because you're starting, but if you know the end, mm. then that fun journey, that blueprint in the middle is just choice. It's just something that you mm. uh, so can entertain with. So that destination might be, and now we're and you know turning to somebody else, what do you think, or um, ending with some conclusion. It's got to have an end. Yeah. It, it, otherwise, and you'll hear it now when I say, otherwise you'll hear a voice break that ends... 92.2 more FM. Right. And that's kind of like, what? what? So that was a bit abrupt. What was going on there? Yeah, Whereas right. if you have <laughs> a way to, usually an out wraps up your point at the start. I see. And so that's going to be the, the sort of the bookend. Uh, that's it. That's yeah. it. And, but in life. So my whole approach to things yes. in business and in other is know my end. So it applies. It applies everywhere. At church, know the end. You know, our church has gone through a bunch of things this year. Know the end. If you know the end game, then it, the kind of the the bit in the middle doesn't. That's, that's the fun bit. It's huh? fun, right? Mm. Isn't it? Do, do you think it's 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 the part that you look back and you can have a laugh with, or you can lament, or you can. <laughs> but all of it is, um, it's the process. Oh, there's this. Terrible um, 
basketball team <laughs> basketball team in America called um, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers and they were terrible for many many years even though they had really good players and they kept saying trotting out I think to placate their fans mm. trust the process trust the process right. trust the process well that bit in the middle when you know the end and you've got the starting point is the process right mm. so just trust that you're going to get through that part if it's tough or if it's fun or if it's whatever it is because that bit's going to um, to to magnify or accentuate the the outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do that part well, you're going to get a much better outcome. If you do it poorly, you're going to get a you know a dull outcome. You're probably still going to get a similar outcome, but it's, it's it's how shiny it is at the end. So just picking up on that, um, it, you can apply that to many things, can't you? Yeah. You know your business and things, but you could also apply it to your life. Yes. Like, what is it that you want to have as your destination at the end of your life? And I've said this before on the podcast, you know, like, hopefully, you know, assuming health and everything is there. But, you know, when I'm 95 or whatever, and I'm looking back on my life, what will have been important? And so it's knowing where you want to get to so that at that point, you've actually built up the relationships you've you've got the friendships you you've got a foundation right totally you've nailed it Mm. it's exactly right and if yeah so as a christian for me uh that end is well done good and faithful servant right that's Mm. hearing those words um if it's if it's not in heaven but on earth here then it's for me he was a good dad and uh a great husband and Mm. um he, he cared about his family and his friends. And, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, it's if you everybody wants those things. They look different for each of us, mm-hmm. but everybody wants them. So the bit in the middle, just. That's the a, funny. Well, it's funny. Go at it. It's funny because people say, you know, life's a journey, right? Yeah. But it is about that. The starting and the end. Yeah, it's, it totally is. Yeah. And, and and to trot out life's a journey mm. actually is a dis- this is I have this theory that I don't like cliches because they desensitize us to to the point that they're trying to make. Oftentimes, a cliche holds a really really important point. Mm. Life's a journey is the, that's what we're talking about here. But you trot that out, people's ears close. Oh, yeah, whatever. And it doesn't, it's not alive to them. There's no impact, right? Totally. Yeah. They're desensitized to it. So, you, you, um, but that's, exa- that's exactly what we're describing. Mm. Well, I think that's what we're describing. Yeah. It's good. Well, even um, that, the, the one that you said before, you know, to, to whom much has been given, mm. much is asked. Required, yeah, that's yeah. Right. Like that in itself is like, oh, yeah, I've heard that one before. Like, but if you phrase it a different way, then maybe it has more impact. Yeah, that's right. So you're working in radio then for a couple of years? Yeah, that, yeah, good, yeah, a good couple of years. I, um, was that here in Christchurch? Uh, yes. You did the sign-off as 92.2, more, right? Yeah, more, more FM. FM. So was yeah. that where you were? I, I worked at more. Uh, I worked for Classic Hits. Okay. Uh, I worked... So what's that gig like? Like, is it uh, long? You know, like, is it you get a slot, you know, like nine to 12 or something or, you know, yeah. one to four? Yeah. So when when you start on, uh, I, I started on sports radio. So um, you wanted to be, I, I wanted to be Martin Devlin, um, who's a genius broadcaster, but uh, you end up doing the weekend. And that's kind of the, 
I mean, it's not a graveyard, but it's nearly a graveyard. Uh, if you move to music radio, uh, you want breakfast, right? That's the first thing. Right. Yes. That's the most listeners. Yeah. That, the morning the, breakfast show. Yeah. yeah. The billboards, you know, that's all of that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, and radio people to a T, uh, jocks, at least people on the radio, uh, um, they have, <laughs> they have this, uh, d- desperate, they walk a knife edge. Uh, they they seem hugely confident, but they're just as likely to be, uh, totally not confident. Right. In de- so they're, they're, they're desperate. I am, it's me. It's every jock I know, uh, is someone who is, comes across as this incredibly capable, uh, articulate, confident person. Mm-hmm. But right underneath that, a misstep, a little trip, something, and they'll hang their head and just be like, oh, I can't believe it. What? And just desperately <laughs> feel the opposite. Right. Uh, not saying that they're bipolar or not saying that there's a, something wrong uh, in, with the way they're wired. It, it's just... The nature of the of the personality mm. is that you're highly confident and not confident all at once. I see. It's tricky. So you get the highs and the lows, <laughs> big time. And it took a lot of effort for me to understand that. Mm. Um, so for, so for me though, radio was uh, I started in the afternoon. So I started what we would call drive. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of rolling in at three. You know, kids in the car, that kind of thing, with yep. mum and whoever driving around, uh, and then running through to about seven o'clock. So, that that was a spot that I did for a long time. Um, I did a, a bit of breakfast in Queenstown and other little places around uh, South Island. But um, what I'm no good at is just being um, in the in broadcasting. You call it a liner jock. So it's somebody who tells you what the song was that he's playing, tells you something that's going on uh, that maybe the station's sponsoring, tells you the three songs coming up, and then tells you the time and out. I'm rubbish at that because I'm not disciplined. I want to yap. So, right. uh, so I'm terrible at doing those things. Uh, so you, need, you needed to have fun content or you know dreaming out ways to engage listeners yeah. and things that so is it be fun. yeah so you must be like looking at the papers and like i read this article about yeah. this man who you know that they had triplet um yep. lambs born and isn't that amazing or whatever and yeah like, that's right is that right you're always just keeping oh, your eye open you have a little book well i did i kept a little book okay oh there's something i learned that at broadcasting school they taught you to keep a little pocketbook right back before iphones of, of things you observe and just things you thought of uh, little little things and then they, they call bits and you turn them you 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 write them up you build them up um the i i made a big mistake when i was um broadcasting when i was starting out thinking that everything had to be funny so trying to turn everything into there's way more emotions than funny right mm. um and so being brave enough to talk about sad things or to talk about troubling things mm. uh was a it was a big like, it was really hard for me because mm. i want to be the happy go lucky funny guy yeah um but that that means you're missing out on three quarters of everyone else's life right it's like the um the pixar movie inside out right like oh, you can't yeah. be joyful all the time totally. you need the sadness with the joy and totally it's all part of being human hugely insightful movie that one. yeah yeah it's a great one Very, actually yeah so just talk us through because i'm just thinking through 
you, I know you have some UCSA connections yeah, as well, sure, right? So sure. university, you ended up going back to university? Is yeah, that right? so after my spectacular fail, about 13 years later, I went back to uni, maybe slightly less. And uh, that was here at oh. Canterbury and uh, went to and did law. So I did law and arts and um, met a number of influential people uh, here. I was older, acted way too young. I think I don't know I didn't have that uh, student life so when I did so when I engaged in that I um, because you've been there as a 16 year old right or 16, 17 that's very different to in your 20s yeah yeah very much Um, so suddenly I was still working I was working on the radio and uh, and so I was very different to the students, uh, not just because of age. I had some money in my pocket, which was, you know, that's mm. unheard of for a student these days. And um, and I also had, l- like you'd say, sort of 15-year-old uh, older eyes. Mm. And so I would see things that were going on that I was pretty, I was be surprised at. And you know what it's like when, you, when you've when you got something due or you're beholden to a deadline and, mm-hmm. at university. That's the only thing that's there in your mind. That's just what you've got and you have to do it. Some people are really good at contextualizing deadlines and uh, seeing it as a part of 15 or 20 things they've got happening. I was never any good at that. But old when I was older, I was. I could go, oh, yeah, this matters now. I better turn, turn it yeah. up, dial it up. Sure. But I've got these other things. And law was a really good place to do that or learn to do that because uh, at the time there was a, it was a single building. The law library was a sort of a place where everyone gathered and didn't talk unless they were in the halls. And mm-hmm. uh, and so there was a sense of community. Um, and also they thought they were elite and all sorts of, there was all sorts of <laughs> stuff going on, which I totally bought into at the time. Um, but, but, what and are you not, studying? Yeah, I'm studying law. I, yes, I'm reading law. Um, <laughs> oh, reading which, law. Well, yes, are ridiculous, you? right? Yeah. Sorry, you, you what? You, you're uh, reading law? <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy. It's nuts. So what years are we talking about? Is this um, late 2000s or yeah, I mean, 2005-ish? Or? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, 05 was my first year. Right. Yep, 05 was my first year. And um, and I joined um, the, well, I didn't realize at the time, I saw this ad, so this, this poster, yep. as I was walking up to the law library, um, halfway through the year, do you think you're funny? If so, text Andrew such and such a number. Right. <laughs> and it was a an ad for writers for the law review ah. um the stage show not the clever people in writing the law review book i was never clever enough to do that but i did <laughs> think i could write a sketch or two and um and so i did and that connected me into law school in a way that i would never i could mm. never have thought uh was as important as it ended up being i see because i when i would go home to my house and my mortgage uh I wouldn't know the plight of a student or plight, but I wouldn't know this, the the context of a student and what they were thinking about and the struggles and the things that they would have and the things that would make it just slightly easier. But because I ended up, you know, trying to write sketches for people to do on stage in a three-week period um, in the middle of the third term, I got to see how students lived mm. And what was going on for them, and there was rich students and poor students and students in between, and there was diligent students and wasters, and there was students in between, and 
and I could, because I had these eyes, I, I could see, oh, if they had it, if that was done slightly differently, then that might be better, or mm. they're trying to get this outcome. So, uh, and I was a bit brazen with it, I've got to be honest. Uh, I remember having to write an essay answering three separate questions and ended up saying at the top of my paper, this is an exam, these are your questions you've uh, that you're going to answer. I, I think they're all one, and uh, I've decided to answer them in one thing and just wrote this one big long answer. Now, you, a, a 17, 18-year-old kid's not going to do that. They're right. going to be pretty formal because they're not going to risk it. Mm. But I was 30, I think, and yeah. so I'm looking at going, Come look, on. <laughs> they, want, they want me to demonstrate my knowledge. I'm yeah. going to demonstrate my knowledge, and yeah. that's going to be enough. Um, and... Uh, so that got me interested in, well, who are the student influencers? Mm -hmm. Who are the people who help those who are teaching and uh, trying to uh, um, uh, assess people's understanding? Who Who's helping them know how to do that effectively or efficiently today? Mm-hmm. What it looked like 10 years ago may not, it might be, but it may not be what it looks like now and might not be what it looks like in the future. So who are those people? And and so I became known to those influence, those student influences. Clubs around campus are helpful at doing that. Law Soccer was one that had an academic uh, element to it and, um, and the UCSA was another. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the University of Canada Students Association was another. And they were derided a lot, the UCSA, because they were relatively um, uh, irrelevant to students. Uh, they were, that's a terrible sentence, sorry. Uh, they were, you know, didn't really bring much value. Whereas I could see that the, cl- you know, Law Sock, which I was, I served on the executive Law Sock for a number of years, they were trying to help students right. in different ways and lobbying their So maybe you school. saw UCSA could be transformed could as well, be. right? I can yeah, see yeah. where we're going. Totally. Here. So so did you run for um, exec or president? or Yeah, president in the end. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't engage at all. I was one of those p- people who parachuted in. A friend of mine the pre- preceding year had said, I think I want to be UCSA president. Uh, can you help? I said, yeah, and we came up with a campaign and mm. whatever. And so that showed me how to do you it. You had some background, yeah. And then yeah. I tried uh, and was lucky enough to get in. Yeah. I ran, um, And did you do that for two years or one year? No, one year. Yeah. So I came in, my, uh, myself, a guy you work with, Luke, and mm-hmm. uh, an, another sharp girl, Haley. She was the VP. Luke was a finance officer and myself as yep. president. We ran as a team and... We were leaders for a change. That was our line. We wanted to make the UCSA relevant, so to, uh, to to connect it back with the student body. I see. And to do that, we wanted to do a number of things that was changed the way it measured success. Okay. So it measured success purely financially. Uh, and we thought, well, if you're going to be a student association, you might want to measure it uh, with the student in mind. Mm. What do they need? Do they, you know, do they need an extra dollar in the bank account which already has 11 million bucks or could they do with a break and have that mm-hmm. uh that study course or could they do have a break and have some have another have way of making them, or something yeah, fun having as them, well, right? yeah, their, yeah their life a bit easier a yeah. dental clinic or something yeah uh and so that's what we did so when you're a change agent you you can't 
bank on mm. being re-elected, right? Because you're going to annoy as many people as you're trying to help. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I had always come in as a uh, as Push a one the boundaries to, a yeah, little bit. And, that's right. Yeah. And I think we did that. I, I think sustainable change comes in increments. So yeah. I think we probably reached, took a too big a bite, and maybe we gave some back in the end. But th- that's okay. Yeah. Um, I think back really fondly to. Yeah. To those, it's, it's good times, isn't it? Because um, I was on the exec of UCSA yeah. in 2000. So sure. my little photos up there on the wall, whenever I go back to the university, it's always funny to look back. Like my hair is very different <laughs> and I'm wearing these student clothes. Sure. <laughs> but it's kind of a, it's definitely a fond memory. And I interviewed Jared Gilbert, um, who's still genius. At, he's still at university in the sociology department. That's right. And um, we talked about gangs in New Zealand. Amazing. Um, but it was just fun to reflect with him on that time and 2000 was when I was there. So if I have, if I had my lament, if I have a lament, it's that I didn't connect with Jared until after, cause he was at the university. Okay. Uh, he was a lecturer. Um, I think he must've been still doing his PhD at that point. And, uh, I didn't seek out and ask mm. him. I, I was a bit probably gung ho and thought, oh yeah, I'll just get it done. I'll just get it done. Yeah. We, you know, you can always do it better when you ask yeah. for those who have so lived you, it earlier. So you mentioned sort of jumping from thing to thing, and I hear where you're going with that because you were doing the radio, you know, DJ, and yeah, then random, right? now you're doing law, and now you're the president of the um, UCSA. So just talk us through. I'd love to get up to Pathway. <laughs> sure. Sorry. So what, no, no, it's all good. But how did, what sort of happened next, and what? yeah, what were the steps yeah, so after the year of being the president, I'd I'd, all, I'd engaged a lot of um, really good uh, senior managers at the university. I was on the appointment committee for uh, Dr. Rob Carr to be appointed as the vice-chancellor, and um, I got to know him really, really well. And it was lovely because uh, he was a listener, and... Dr. Ian Town, his um, deputy, they were very good at listening to students, very, very good. Unfortunately, Ian's not at the university anymore. He's uh, building the health precinct in town, so he's the sort of lead guy for that, and uh, Rod is just about to finish up at the university, and it'll be sad when he goes, um, at least I think. But between them, they listened deeply and carefully about uh, student stuff, and I wrote a paper um, and gave it to them and said, if you want to give some meaningful uh, benefit to students, here's what you could do. It's not the only thing, but here's what you could do. And it was focused on non-academic performance and making it uh, more relevant. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then these two words that I use, sort of nimble and responsive, and um, they listened and then said, oh, do you want to do it? And so suddenly I had the support of the chief financial officer of the university at the time and um, just just lots of good people in the senior management of the university were really, they were kind to the UCSA. Mm. And they gave us a chance to show the things that we might do that would be helpful. And I mentioned dental clinics before and uh, trying to do better there and uh, make an impact on sports. So sport and was you've heard me talk about it earlier but participating is also good and um and doing better there there was a couple of key people at the university who wanted to to amplify their 
impact and the and the benefit that uh, can come and so i ended up working uh, for the ucsa kind of planted there by the university in a funny way uh for i think it was four years ah. uh to establish these new initiatives right. to make these changes and this um, is over the earthquakes time as yeah, well that yeah that got in the way steve i've got to be oh, honest i <laughs> um, don't know for you but uh <laughs> for everyone else um uh, yeah, so it was 2010 through uh, 2014. I see. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's five years, isn't it? And I, um, so I was there uh, for right through that time, and uh, the earthquakes were were where we got to reinvent everything. Mm. In a funny way, the earthquakes were the catalyst for that change to be accelerated. They, right. The university had committed to the change. Uh, to to care about um, non non academic matters far more, but after the earthquakes, yeah, it's almost, it wasn't a blank slate, but it was nearly, yeah. and so it gave us a chance to um, to try things mm. and to to be a little more, um, well, th- uh, relevant. Mm. Uh, there was four. I'm trying to remember what they were. I, my big pitch was relevance. Uh, reputation, efficiency, and effectiveness—they're all very businessy words, aren't they? Like it, yeah. um, but, but at those that time, what well, we're struggling with. Yeah. Th- at that time as well, you've got the student volunteer army kind of That's rising right. up, and yeah. Sam and Jason and the others. I think yeah. were kind of forming that, right? Yeah, so that was kind of a groundswell of it was great, something right? new. Yeah, yeah. It, w- it was, and it, and um, apart from the clear work that was delivered by the SVA. Mm the social capital that they could generate mm. which could be le- leveraged by uh the rest of the student body was 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 mm. significant suddenly there was a lot of um thoughtfulness towards students that perhaps wasn't there yeah the year before yeah well it is it's interesting i mean it must have been a fascinating time and then just take us through so that, that's 2014 yeah you there till then was that when pathway that's came when on they the came scene, to or? pathway okay and pathway is an organization that helps make people make a fresh start and uh it is exactly what i just described at the university but in the real world, uh, and with less beer, I think. So, <laughs> student services and social services uh, are exactly the same, but student services have more beer, um, and uh, it's a it's a wonderful organisation. But again, needing uh, to uh, to with, with with its its purpose of being um, socially centric. So, having the and for us, it's. Um, people who are coming out of prison or who have been left yeah, they're high, high barriers to employment and other things they're sort of left behind people on the margins all of these kind of lines yeah but um it was a natural fit for me to come to pathway uh, mm. because i'd been doing that at the university and now i was going to be doing that in an organization which also mm-hmm. uh cared about the people that was trying mm. to serve and the just to throw in because i work as a lawyer i always am interested in you know the legal structures sure. of things and the, the reason i use pathway as an example of a social enterprise is that it's a charitable trust which then ha- runs two companies which That's are right. both charitable companies 
Is that right? Yeah. So two companies, one of them is charitable and the other one's not. Okay. But the other one doesn't trade very much because okay. it's not charitable. Yeah, right. Uh, so that's so, right. So, and then the, the bit that makes it the social enterprise element is that it actually, part of the purpose of it is to help people who maybe were in prison reintegrate back into society, right? That's right. And rather than it being a purpose through education or we'll run some seminars, you actually provide employment for people, so you fulfill your function, you fulfill your purpose through the very entity that's been set up. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, which, which makes think, it really tricky. <laughs> yeah, which makes it tricky, but it's a perfect example of social enterprise because it's achieving more than just the balance sheet is one thing, but it's actually the employment that's offered to people who wouldn't have employment otherwise. That's right. That you're actually hitting the, you know. It's exactly two, right. Yeah, two birds and, and one stone. It's exactly right. And where the so to give the parallel, the the UCSA had forgotten about the students it was serving, mm. but it was and it generated a bunch of money, mm. but it, it, it that came with a cost of the best for the student. Pathway uh, has I think done a really good job at balancing both yeah. the need for profit because you've got to be sustainable as a social enterprise or any enterprise, uh, but. not at the expense of the people that they're trying to serve or it's trying to serve. And and that's the part that um, most people don't kind of get. I mean, they they can hear it, but they don't get it, that that you're measuring success not just in profit, but you're measuring success in these other purposeful ways. How many people am I trying to... Uh, give a chance to coming out of how many people do I want to employ with high barriers mm-hmm. to employment? How many people will graduate through our you know, training programs and go on to to stand on their own two feet for mm-hmm. a, a, a significant amount of time? And how long is that? Those are all things that matter just as much as did I make last year's quarterly projections? Mm-hmm. Uh, last you know last quarter's projections. And I th- I think that part uh, and until you've lived it. And I mean lived it because you can sweat on it, man. Yeah. Um, you, you don't know how hard it is mm-hmm. to keep those two things uh, relatively balanced. They're never going to be equal. Mm-hmm. I'm not sitting here telling you that. You have to make choices with resources, dollars and knowledge. But um, you, you you try your best to make the right choice mm-hmm. that will ensure the organization is best placed at every turn to to keep stepping. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I'd love to float an idea with you and just see what you think of it. Sure. Um, one of the things that's striking me, and I'm saying it a lot on the podcast, is that there's actually feels like there's a paradigm shift happening where traditionally you'd say, well, you're either a charity or you're a business. You know, And if you're a charity, well, basically that's a heart-led, um, you care about purpose. And if you're a business, that's a mind, you know, intellectual thing. Sure. And you care about profit. And what we're maybe seeing now is that there's sort of a blending in the middle of between business and charity and saying, actually, we can do good and we can make profit. The thing I'd like to throw out, I guess, is how do you deal with that tension between both sides? And where I'm coming to, because I'm looking a lot at legal structures for social enterprises, is that the key is that you prioritize the mission above other traditional priorities for a business. So traditionally, you'd say, well, we want to return money to shareholders, you know, profit. But if you have mission elevated above profit, then when you come to a fork in the road and you have to choose between the two, 
then it's the mission that ultimately drives you down towards your destination. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I understand your, your, your point. Uh, I'm not sure I wholly agree, um, but I do think, so I'll start with, mm-hmm. I think in 50 years every business will be a social enterprise mm-hmm. because there's so many people coming through uh, our you know, kids are growing up and uh, they are purpose driven people. Yeah. The, the, the kimono is open, right? You can see through it. We want to, we know we were all about transparency, we want things. And so you want to have a lot of, um, of it's not just about money. Greed is good is gone, I mm. think is a mm. way to say it. And uh, so in a wee while, mo- most businesses will will have a purpose to it that won't that isn't to say that most businesses will be purely social enterprise i think Mm. that's not quite right uh but for your point about elevating mission or purpose over profit to ensure that it's there Mm. um i i understand to to a point i agree but i don't think it's it's as accurate as it needs to be Mm -hmm. um because pur- purpose w- won't pay the bills. Purpose doesn't make you financially sustainable. And if a purpose-led organization uh, chooses purpose over profit consistently, then the profit will disappear mm-hmm. or could. And then what do you do? Then the, then you've got somebody out there mm-hmm. staying at purpose with no means to be able to to achieve it mm. so i th- i think another way to think about it is to say uh but business basics are hugely important culture in an organization beat this is bcd right culture in an organization is extraordinarily important and that's where you um bake in uh, the purpose and the profit. So knowing which choice to make, which one to elevate at what time for the better of uh, the organization to achieve its purpose, mm. which possibly is what you mean. And then the last part is that direction, having people, it's all about people, having directors or trustees or whatever your governance structure is and senior management who are absolutely committed to ensuring the protection of both the culture and the business basics mm-hmm. though when you put those three things together i think you achieve or hope it's all a bit theoretical but um hopefully you will achieve an organization that will understand if for this month or this year you've elevated the need for mm-hmm. profit we we've chosen not to grow our social uh sector by 10 percent because we know we're coming into hard times so we're putting some stuff in the storehouse so that we can yeah. continue to do this current level for two years and then we'll be able to launch again so it's that it's that wisdom and mm. I, th- I probably think that's what you were meaning mm. uh but being brave enough to have a have a culture in our organisation that knows when to yes. dial up one or the other that's that's where it matters. Now, as a lawyer, I think you'll struggle to get a a, a purely um, or an efficient uh, entity like an entity model. It'd be quite hard to devise something like that. Mm. You're a big brain guy. You'll find you'll find something. Um, but there is a line, I'm, I'm trying to get it right, no amount of good process will overcome poor people. 
but any amount of good people will overcome poor process and that's really what you're trying to do is mm. to is to convey and and land deep within the staff uh, however many you've got one or like pathway 250 um a a sense of that purpose mm. so that they know that matters mm. and they have to do a good job so they know that we can pay for consistent achievement of the purpose mm-hmm. so it's that kind of bedding in it's, you've got to have that mm. that just getting good people you can't buy them off the shelf you have to bring them through yeah no i i hear you i love it i want to unpack that a little bit but just to finish off the sure. social enterprise bit I agree with you, and I think it is this, it's the creative tension, if you like, between the mind and the heart. Mm. All that I'm thinking or saying is that if I was going to have a balance, I would have 51% on the heart and the purpose and 49% on the, the profit. Because I agree, it has to be sustainable, but ultimately you don't want to lose sight of the original reason and the purpose yeah, totally. in favor of somehow we'll actually we're going down the profit route now, yeah, totally. you know, as the focus. Yeah, throwing the baby but out, that's right. The, um, the people point in the vision and the culture, how do you sustain that in an organization like yours? What, what are some... Oh, so we do some specific things, uh, if that's what you're asking. It uh, is. Uh, so for, for Pathway, Pathway is an incredible organization set up by some very, very wise people long before I arrived, long before I arrived. And when I... Um, and I came in to sort of... I don't know, help, help start a couple of new things and, and give some other parts a bit of structure, right? It wasn't, wasn't particularly um, well-defined, but the things that Pathway does to ensure that purpose is best understood, every Monday, staff, we have a staff meeting, uh, which involves food and people sitting around in a circle and... <laughs> not singing kumbaya there's no candles what there is is everyone telling us what's going on in there what they maybe what they did for the weekend or some interesting anecdote or something and also what they've got going on this week or where they're up to on that project they were working on and that's really helpful because a dude who sells chairs doesn't necessarily know what uh he's selling those chairs for unless he talks to the person who's helping the prisoner reintegrate back into society say as an example and so those stories cross right right? and it's deliberate we do that every monday 9 30 everyone who's in the office goes upstairs there's food there's talk Mm -hmm. there's chat um and that can take an hour like it genuinely can it can take a while for people to get around to get around and understand uh what people are up to but that means that we each know what the other in a general sense, what's going on? Mm. And it helps us to remember when we're making choices in our own discrete department the imp- you know, of the other person. Mm. What does this mean? If I'm going to spend that money there, how many chairs does he have to sell? Or if he gives that discount on that thing or loses that sale, what does that mean for the mm. the houses we're trying to build? Or So we get we get this mm. idea of, um, of all for one and one for all. That's not enough. Um, we do some other communication things which are you know so internal emails and things and people participate in that stuff we make sure that every single one of our um events that we hold where our staff are invited to as well so if we're doing a fundraising event or we're doing something that's um sort of public facing all of our staff are invited not not to work sometimes they're working some people have responsibilities on the night but just to come mm-hmm. so that they can see 
And that really helps because then they see what other people's thoughts are of the organization that they work for. It helps, you know, land it. Uh, we go away each year. Um, our staff go away. We've got staff in Australia, in Auckland, in Wellington, in Taiwan, um, uh, in America, and we bring them over. Not everyone can make it all the time, but the large majority make And every year mm. uh, we go away and we, I don't know, we do some fun things and we do some uh, reflection on how we did it work and uh, what things we've achieved and what things we might have coming up. We just, we just mm. have that sort of microcosm of just a short amount of time, two days perhaps, where we're all together and we all... Uh, so it's renewing it. it's renewing the vision as one rather yeah. than the directors saying right everybody here's the tagline for the coming year and That's get right. on with it and get back to your computers we're not you know and <laughs> in fact if i can if i can expand on that in at pathway we have a um, deliberate approach to governance our governance structures um Whilst we're legally responsible and have lots of duties for things, we aren't the rudder of the organisation. So I'm a trustee and a director of those entities you were describing. Yeah. Um, so I wear a couple of hats, and as does one other in our uh, in our organisation, Murray, a founding trustee. And uh, we don't set the direction. We we sometimes have to make choices. We have mm. to make some calls and uh, what have you. But we we get good people in to make those choices in each of those divisions. We tend to act like a keel. So we're trying to be stabilizing so that we're not as an organization lurching, but we aren't setting the direction. Uh, our direction is in our name uh, and who we're trying to serve. Right. Those things haven't changed for 15, nearly 20 years. In fact, this is our 20th year and it's barely changed. Uh, so we try to be a keel. Uh, that means that we're not top down in terms of, yep, here's the mantra, here's the thing, this is what we're trying to, it's people telling everybody else, and, and you get authenticity with that, Steve, you, mm. you get this uh, the sense of, yeah, I mean, you can trot out line, whatever, but if someone who's heartfelt is telling you what's going on, whether they're selling chairs or bicycle tours or doing whatever, uh, you buy it, you buy, we, we want as people authenticity. We we own it. We reach for it. It's, we're desperate for it. So um, that's that's an amazing time away. But it's it's never director or trustee led. Uh, it's all it's always we're always acting as a as a keel and a stabilizing factor. Mm. Uh, and the last thing uh, we do is we make sure that people understand our money. So we tell the staff what's going on, uh, why we've chosen that. Uh, or this group to help or whatever it might be and what the implication of that is um, because what, what is the line you you we we manage what we measure and so if we're only measuring the money uh, then we'll only get f fiscal outcomes uh, but if you're only measuring the social but you you can only get those as well mm. uh, so you have to make sure that you're talking about both the people and why the why and the money stuff yep. in relatively equal terms otherwise yeah. people stop caring about the money yeah. and we need them to yeah oh that's great well i think what i'll do is keep using pathway as my example sure. in different social enterprise things because i honestly do think it's, it's an cool. amazing way to integrate um you know traditional charity concepts business concepts social enterprise because mm. it is it's providing 
through the work that you're doing, you're actually achieving your purpose, which I think is a great, you know. Another way to think about it is if we didn't have the people that we're trying to help, we wouldn't have the money to help more people who came through the door. And it's so cool. That part of being reliant on the very people you're trying to help, it makes you, I mean, it makes it a stark reality. You have to make sure that they're in good shape uh, to be able to then do it again and again and again and then it's about telling the stories right and and how that because i went to a dinner now i guess a year or two years maybe where you were telling stories and had some videos of Mm. people kind of showing here's where i was here's how it's helped like because ultimately that's what people connect with isn't it's relationship story yeah it's it's the re it's the real of the uh oh we help this many people or this person come well if they're telling their own story and saying the impact that that has uh we can't we can't rely we we talk about creating possibilities not promises Mm -hmm. and then the line sometimes you can get a miracle so we don't rely if we swung our bat only on the successes then uh we would be not truthful mm. uh, we have lots and lots of uh, failures both in business uh, and you know, we've been to the wall a number of times pathway mm. not in the last 10 years but certainly in the first 10 mm. um, and we've also been to the wall with people we've tried to help mm. uh, as well so you've you've got to believe that the work you're doing is good and not every bit of it is good mm. do you know mm. um Otherwise, we can end up talking all about the wins and never the losses. And if you own the wins, you have to own your losses. And, yeah. uh, and so we, we're we honest about that too. Yeah. Well, if people want to find out more, what we'll do is put links in the show notes so people can click through and read more about the story. And I encourage them to do that because it's a really fascinating one. I want to finish off by talking about the another hat, um, which is cinema. Sure. And one of the ways that we connected is that I've had this crazy idea or, you know, at least an idea um, to have a cinema in Rolleston, which is where I live. And the council has announced that they're going to be building the, the building. So there's no need to fund that. But they're looking potentially for people to operate the cinema. And so I reached out to you and we were talking about how that would work. And my concept was that it would be a social enterprise cinema because the profits would then go back into supporting charities and others within, you know, Selwyn and and that type of thing. Um, But the reason that I'd reached out to you is that this other hat that you wear has to do with Hollywood cinema in Sumner. So do you want to just describe that a little bit? Like what what got you into that? Um, Yeah, so we own the Hollywood uh, in Sumner um, and we have a lovely... uh, have a lovely partner in Lang who Lang and Maureen who um, started the cinema some I don't know 50 or 55 years ago um, we uh, oh, oh, had you always loved cinema like movies was a- I'm a cinephile right so just I'm a Christian so this doesn't hold but the answer to life is in the movies right? <laughs> and um and if you if you cared about books you would say the same thing about books you you find um i i think that movies reflect to us at various stages you ref, it reflects to us the the struggles the celebrations the things that about our society it's just reflective of it it's supposed to be that yes. uh, it's how we it's how we demonstrate um what we have achieved as you know humankind mm-hmm. um it's telling the stories right it's absolutely <laughs> that uh and i've loved the movie since i i mean the very first movie 
I went to was a um I was a, I remember being in a, going to lots of drive-ins in Australia with the parents and things but um the the very first movie I went to in a in a cinema uh, was in Topo I was 10 dead took myself and my sister um to World Safari 2 which was a kind of a story about a guy who was trekking through I think Africa has in my memory and he had to, you know, he was sort of got stuck. He had to drink aloe vera plants and all sorts of things. It was really crazy. It was a very, very good um, uh, sort of story. And World Safari 2. World Safari 2. I don't two. think I've heard of that one. Yeah, it's sad, <laughs> sad and I even know it. Um, it was followed hot on the heels uh, by the next James Bond, which I'm, I can't remember. It's not a view to a kill, perhaps, mm. um, with Grace Jones. Um care about movies a lot we live in sumner as mm. a family um i had said to mel my wife a number of times babe we've got to buy the cinema right um we would so see it was on your radar yeah <laughs> lang and maureen were uh they're they're aging now and um we could see that uh yeah who what, what happens who takes it on one day i was driving home from work and there was a sign on the site on the corner it's a corner site and sometimes you're driving in from Mar- and mariner street to wakefield ave and uh it said for sale what so i looked it up when i got home i don't know i thought i was buying uh i thought i was buying the cinema i was buying the buildings uh to buy the buildings i had to know how the businesses were operating so i got to know lang uh, and maureen and the other operators of the, there's a coffee culture there as well mm. and started to yarn to the owners of both of those businesses and i happened to say to lang one day as the engineers were in there swinging around and trying to find out if the building was a good thing um i said to him well, you know what's your exit strategy you know you sort of you how are you going what's your i had a reason to ask that question there's two-thirds of the rent was being of the whole site was being paid by the cinema so how healthy is the business but uh what's your exit strategy what are you doing and he said oh i should probably have one of those he said and i said would you like one uh ever the opportunist uh he said what do you mean i said oh I, i could be that what do you reckon and he said oh yeah i guess we should probably i said would you have any do you have anything to do you have any annual report something i can read to let me know how you're getting on thinking that i was going to get a shoebox of this is sam sorry lang uh it's a a shoebox of you know receipts and things he hands me six years of account turns out this guy lang uh has owned every cinema in the country basically he he grew born and grew the rialto brand his own cinemas up and down massive chains and he'd slowly built them grown them sold them down and then he's Sumner's his baby he lives on Scarborough Hill and so he knows business right and he knows movies and he's won awards he's been recognized uh for in New Zealand cinema industry for a long time and uh on the on the 3rd of September in 2015 I presented him a proposal this is what it could look like if we bought in and on the 9th of November, we'd done the deal. Wow. And Mel's head was still spinning after all of that. She said, what? I said, what I think we we've just bought a cinema, sweetheart. <laughs> uh, I was the most excited I could have been. We've got some friends, so uh, some uh, the Kennedys who are k- uh, key people, uh, uh, 
really important to us and they're in with us and mm-hmm. uh, so we we have the cinema and uh, we've learned a lot and made some mistakes and all the while Lang has been there and just making sure the thing works and runs uh, we could do a whole lot with it uh, we see it as a really fun thing to be able to do together it connects us to the community so you were talking about Rolleston being an important part of the community mm-hmm. out there we we think the same of uh, Sumner and I'd like my girl I grew up as you know uh, all around Australia lots of moving I think mm. 11 addresses something in seven years or so. it was crazy numbers mm. it was silly crazy numbers of addresses I'd like my girls to live in Sumner and to um, and to go to you know walk to school and mm, uh, to be identity. part of the community. Yeah, yep, totally. That it, that isn't cool. sort of dragged well, around, and it, the it, cinema does that for us. That's awesome, and it's great to hear sort of from a local business owner what it means to you as mm. well. So mm. hopefully, you know, if people are listening and they've never been. Yeah, go, go along. Yeah, have, totally. have watch the movie. I've been there because my parents used to live in Sumner, so we used to go there um, from time to time. Great, and it was great. Yeah. How is the um, the development of the cinema in Rolleston? H- have the community buy? I've been to a number of meetings. Yeah. Um, maybe two or three. Yeah. Uh, is that is that got legs? Is it is it carrying I th- on? I think it has. Like I think like many things in life, everybody supports the idea. And I, you know, no problem to give me lots of Facebook likes. You know, yeah, I think sure. there's 650 people in a Facebook group I set up and stuff. And so there's lots of energy, but the actual reality is another thing, you know, yeah. in terms of um, what it would actually take to do it. And so far, I haven't had any multimillionaires show up to say, here's a check. You yeah, know. sure. <laughs> yeah, totally. But also, I'm just kind of waiting for the council to, to tell us how big the complex is going to be. And so that's taken a lot longer um so i'm i think what's going to happen is i'll be in a catch-22 where um they'll come out and say right we're ready for tenders you know they close on this date and then it will be like oh we don't have enough time now to to fundraise and to get sure. the money together and to get the entity sorted and, and to to you know get in there but but the process has been you know it's about the process totally that's a, that's a, the, absolutely the trust the process yeah so um I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot through it. And I think it has, like we said before, there's sort of this blurring of the lines between business and charity and and this idea that businesses could actually give back to their community in overt ways. So if you go to this theoretical cinema, you would know that some of those profits were going back to the the guides and the, you know, the local swimming club and the rugby club and that type of thing the irony of what you're saying is that everybody who hears that would say oh yes sign me up that's excellent yeah uh but the 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 physical work it takes to get a structure and then a uh you know proposal and get all of that Mm. together to get it done uh is is so big that very few of those things end up manifesting Mm. but Everybody who uh, everybody who th- goes down to the local business, if you're a rugby club and you say that, you know, Hollywood, can you help us out with this or help mm-hmm. us out with that? Yeah, sure you can. But imagine if it was flipped around and knowing that I went there and bought the ticket and then helped and that helped employment or youth, mm-hmm. I think that was the real purpose in mm-hmm. yep. Rolleston, isn't it? Uh, to be able to then uh, do some more of 
the very thing that it's taken every blood, sweat, and tear in your body to be able to yeah. build. Uh, I mean, that's that's awesome. Yeah. It's an it's an awesome thing to be able to achieve. Um, and well, I, I hope, hope it comes off. I hope we can achieve it. It may not work with this particular venture, but now I'm getting people on board in the idea. Maybe there'll be something else that, yeah. that, that does show up. Um, but we'll see. It's fun. My kids like to think that you know we'll own a cinema one day. Yeah. <laughs> you Why can, not? Yeah, you it. can. You just have to turn 40. The 3rd of September for me was an important date because that's my oh. birthday. Oh. And so I'm pitching to him on my birthday. Wow. Uh, and So this is the next chapter of your life, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. A hundred percent. I mean, it would be great if uh, the Hollywood and others and others who who connect into the community so deeply because that's where people sort of hang out and uh, experience things and they move to tears often and laugh. Um, if, the, if that can be a, a place that the community can own mm. as well as participate in and go, oh, man, that's yeah. that's utopia, right? Yeah, but watching stories, sharing stories, you know, getting c- to connect with people, which ultimately this podcast is about telling people stories, mm. you know, and seeds, so... Yeah. Well, Steve, it's been great to have you on this show. I really appreciate your time. And I have a feeling that this is going to end up being the longest episode so far. Oh, sorry. No, it's a good thing. When I look at my little recorder thing, we've had a long conversation, What's the time? which is wonderful. Oh, dear. Um, I'm sorry about that. No, don't apologize, because we've gone in so many different rabbit holes. Think of the content. But I, what I love the about editor. it. <laughs> no, what I love about it is that we've touched, you know, like, looking back right from your childhood you know we've traced it through and we've looked Mm -hmm. at where you've jumped and and i actually think if people are listening and they're really listening there's some principles there and the one that stands out for me is have the destination in mind totally like if if we could summarize it that's a pretty good thing to keep in mind isn't it yeah good one yeah Yeah, thanks uh, for having me no no problem cheers cheers steve (laughs) Well, I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Steve Jukes. I know for me, there were a number of things that stood out, and I just love the approach that he's taken with his life, being involved in such a diverse range of things, and now really giving back through being involved in Pathway. Now, Shanna, if people did enjoy this episode, what could they do? They could subscribe, leave a rating or a review, or follow up on Facebook and Twitter. Great. Thank you, Shanna. Well, that's all for this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time.